celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. So this is um, the third Sunday in our theme, The Light of the World, and as we, we look out at all the beautiful Christmas lights, uh, some here at Windsor Park, some over in other areas, Candy Cane Lane, and over at the zoo, and the Red River Exhibition Field, and all those places, it's, may that be a reminder to all of us that Jesus is the light of the world, and darkness will never overcome this light. Jesus is the light of the world. That's what we're celebrating, and that's what we are um, focusing on during this month. So, Jesus is the light of the world. He said, that, uh, he said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And then in Matthew, he said, you guys, like us, we are the light of the world. And now we'll look at Matthew's story, and Matthew's story is a great illustration. The birth story in Matthew is a great illustration of the fact, the truth that Jesus is the light of the world, and darkness will not overcome it. So we celebrate Christmas at this time of year, and for us it's the darkest time of the year, the winter solstice. This week, December 19th, will be the shortest day of the year. But then that day, then light starts becoming longer and longer. And all throughout scripture, we see this theme of light coming into darkness and a light for the entire world. And then we, we see Jesus has been the one that's been prophesied about. He is a light to all nations. And so by celebrating Christmas on December 25th, we're celebrating the fact that light is overcoming darkness. And we don't, even, we don't know, though, when Jesus was born. No one knows the day or the season or, or the time. We actually don't know when he was born. And throughout history, sometimes Christians celebrated his birth in May or even November, different times of the year. But around somewhere in the 300s, it was chosen to celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. So let's talk about that uh, for a minute. Uh, we know that this is not uh, Jesus' actual birthday, but it was chosen um, according to the Julian calendar that Julius Caesar put into place uh, back in the day. Their calendar was a little bit off, I guess, because they don't really know as much about science as we do, so we've changed the calendar to the Gregorian calendar. But December 25th was the winter solstice back in those days. There was also a celebration of uh, the sun god, the unconquerable sun, S-U-N. And so as Christianity grew around the Roman Empire, they decided we're going to celebrate the birth of the sun, S-O-N, on the same day that the culture is celebrating you know, the unconquered sun, this god of the S-U-N, and they chose December 25th. And so this is not uh, scriptural, but the imagery is very powerful, and the imagery is very scriptural. And so we get this idea of Jesus being born at night um, from this time, celebrating his light coming into darkness, and it's, it's from this time on that now light begins to conquer the darkness. Here in Winnipeg, it's December 19th. From that day on, light starts to conquer the darkness. Jesus was born on December 25th. This is a great time of year, full of symbolism for us to celebrate Jesus coming as light into the world. Now, of course, that's only for us in the Northern Hemisphere. If you're living in New Zealand or the Southern Hemisphere, well, this is the opposite. June 21st would be the great time to celebrate light coming into darkness, but the Roman Empire was in the Northern, Northern Hemisphere, and it was chosen for this reason. And so even if you do live in the Southern Hemisphere, I think you can appreciate the imagery and the symbolism and the power of light coming into darkness at this time of year, the darkest time of the year, 
and the darkness will never overcome it. And so we have these pictures of Jesus being born at night. We don't know what time of day he was born, but we have these pictures right, from all these um, Christmas carols, right? Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. We don't know that he was born at night except that from this Christmas. Or, oh, holy night, that's my favorite Christmas carol. The stars are brightly shining. It's the night of our dear Savior's birth. Uh, o little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Beneath thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars roll by, yet in the dark streets shineth the everlasting light. Or uh, it came upon the midnight clear, that glorious song of old. So in the middle of the night, the longest night of the year, the time of deepest darkness, Jesus is born. This symbolism is very powerful and it's very strong biblical imagery. We can see all throughout scripture about this light. So let's just do a really brief overview of light in the scripture and how that points to Jesus. And then I want to look at the story in Matthew chapter 2, the story of Jesus Christ. So you have notes, uh, or you can look at cornerstonealliance.church and you can follow along there if you want. Please feel free to write in and uh, email those notes to yourself or fold them up and keep them in your Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Guess what is the first thing that God creates when he created the world? Light was the very first thing. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And this is not the light of the sun, or the moon, or the stars, because those were created later uh, in the week. This is just the light that existed before any of that stuff existed, right from the very beginning of time. And then we see in the story of Israel's ancestors, in the first five books, the Pentateuch, that the imagery, image of light often symbolizes the presence of God. Light equals God is here. For Abraham, the father of Israel, God's presence is imaged as a smoking firepot. This is Genesis chapter 15, verses 12, to 17, 12 and 17, if you're taking notes. God's image, God's presence, he's here. There's a smoking firepot and a blazing torch appeared to Abraham in a thick and dreadful darkness. And then Abraham's grandson, Jacob, the father of the 12 tribes of Israel, experiences in the night a fiery ladder with angels ascending and descending, and upon it exclaims, this is, do you remember what he said? This is the gate of heaven. That's in Genesis chapter 28. And then in the foundational story of the Pentateuch, right, the exodus from slavery in Egypt, Israel's ancestors are led by what? A pillar of fire by night to give them light. That's Exodus chapter 13. So over and over again, you see this very consistent theme of light as God's presence. Light imagery appears in Psalm chapter 119, verse 105. He says, your word, you probably know this one. There's an old song to your word. It's a lamp, right, for my feet and a light on my path. Light illuminating our presence and guiding us. God's presence, God's word is a lamp. In another Psalm, uh, Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6, we see this yearning for the coming of dawn and for the end of the night. And it becomes this imagery for a yearning for God's presence. He says, Psalm 130, verse 5 and 6, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. The symbolism of light and darkness, it continues throughout the story of Israel into the prophets. In the first part of the book of Isaiah, this is from like 700 you know, before Christ, 700 years before the prophet associates the coming of light with the coming of the perfect king. 
The text begins like this. The people, Isaiah chapter 9, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And these words are very familiar to us because of uh, Handel's Messiah. It's repeated over and over again, right in that beautiful psalm. For a child has been born to us, a son given to us, authority rests upon his shoulders, and he's named Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there'll be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do it. This, this coming of the ideal king, Prince of Peace, who will uphold justice, is the coming of light to those who live in a land of deep darkness. And it keeps going. The last part of the book of Isaiah, from around 500 BC now, light symbolizes the glory of God, his bright, shining presence, and God's promise to Jerusalem. In Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3, and this is an important passage as we look at Matthew chapter 2 in a few minutes. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 3, says, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations, so non-Jewish people, nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Jerusalem, filled with the glory of God, will draw nations to its light. Like a moth, I imagine, you just can't resist going to the light. Kings will come to the brightness of its dawn. And so here, light is associated not only with God, with God's dreams for Jerusalem and the whole world. You see, Jesus is the light of the world. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is the light. Darkness will not overcome it. We may experience darkness. Some of you might think, oh, there's darkness in my family, or there's darkness at work. There's darkness in my school. I don't associate you know, depression with light. I associate depression with darkness. I associate um, you know, these sorts of things. Maybe you realize there is, we live in a dark land, and this is true. But Jesus is the light of the world, and we're celebrating his coming. And guess what? Darkness will not overcome it. And so in the song that Mitch wrote, it, that we sang partly in French and partly in English, we're looking forward to that time when darkness will be completely eradicated. And we'll look at that shortly. Like There's not even a need for sun anymore when Jesus comes in the fullness of his kingdom. We don't need lights. But you know, it wasn't that long ago when um, electricity was invented. I mean, in the history of, of us, the history of humanity. And according to... Um, you know, I guess there's a museum of light that I found about as I was Googling things and somewhere in Europe. And it wasn't until like 1800 when regular people like us could even afford candles. Did you know that? So for all those years, like there's no light. There's no electricity and we can't afford candles. That's just for the rich people or for the, you know, the kings or emperors or whatever. So most of us, I don't think you see any kings or emperors here, we, we lived in darkness. Like the sun went down and so did we. Imagine Little House on the Prairie. Although Little House on the Prairie had candles, didn't they? This is even before Little House on the Prairie. And so the imagery would have been much more powerful, I think, back then. than like We have lights on all day long, right? It's very easy just to flick on a switch. But that image of darkness just being dispersed. Jesus is the light of the world. And I want you to know, in spite of how you're feeling, or in spite of any situation you're in, or in spite of how hopeless you might feel, this isn't forever. It's a season. Darkness will not overcome. 
Jesus is the light of the world. And this is powerfully illustrated in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ in Matthew. So if you have your Bibles, let's look at Matthew chapter 2. It's a familiar story for many of us, I'm sure. In all of the stories of Jesus' birth in Matthew and Luke and in John, you'll see light imagery. It's very powerful. So uh, if you have the notes, I have printed out Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And then in italics, I highlighted uh, where it talks about light in Jesus. Let me just read this birth story from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. I mean, as we read later, we realize his plan was to kill, right, all the Jesus and all the babies, but I want to go worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, obviously because Herod had bad plans, they returned uh, to their country by another route. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 1, we say, John describing the birth story as light coming into the world. And this is a powerful illustration that Jesus is the light of the world. Light has come into darkness. And guess what? The emperors, those in control, those Herods of our day, and back then too, are, they tried to extinguish this light. But they can't, can they? Let's look at this a little more closely. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Magi. Um, oh, first of all, uh, Magi, yes, sometimes we refer to them as the three wise men or three king, like we three kings of Orient you know, are. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say that they are kings, does it? So where does that idea come from? Who are these people? They're coming from the east. It means they're, they're coming from those outside nations. They aren't coming from, from a Jewish nation. They're, they're the Gentiles. They're coming to the light here. And they're Magi. It comes from the word we use for magic. Uh, who are these people? Why do we think that they're kings? Isaiah chapter 60, earlier we read this, and this is important for this. Isaiah chapter 60, remember those verses 1 to 3, it talks about um, the light coming, uh, Gentile nations coming. It says, verse 3, nations will come to your light and kings in the brightness of your dawn. If we keep reading, it says, lift up your eyes and, and look about you. All assemble and come to you. Your sons come from afar and your daughters are carried on the hip. They will look and be radiant. They then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth and the seas will be brought to you. To you, the riches of the nations will come. So we see some hints, right? This is like the Magi coming. And in verse 3, they're referred to as kings. And then it gets very more obvious here. 
verse 6. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah, and all from Sheba will come. Bearing what? It says here in verse 6. Bearing gold and incense and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. And we know that Jesus loves scripture and Matthew quotes scripture so many times. It was a gospel that was written probably for Jewish people, so he assumes that people know all these, these scripture passages. And so the imagery of Isaiah chapter 6 is probably in sight here. And so this is why we think that they were kings, even though the scripture doesn't explicitly say that. Coming to the light from outside Jerusalem, from all over. What else do we see uh, here in this passage? King Herod heard this. He was disturbed because right? he's the king. He doesn't want another king to come and take control. There's a battle here. And these non-Jewish people who were you know, from outside, for some reason they were compelled to come to the star. They wanted to worship this person that was born, this baby born king uh, of the Jews. And so as we keep reading, we realize Herod does not like this, and his plan is to kill uh, all the baby boys in Jerusalem because so no one can take over. It's a powerful illustration, this story that happened so many years ago that the light will not be snuffed out by darkness, even though those in the dark are constantly trying to. Maybe there are people in your life, maybe there are forces that are out of your control that are trying to snuff out this light and you feel surrounded by darkness. Here's an illustration, a true-to-life illustration that shows, proves to you that it won't happen. Jesus is the light. And I want you to hold on to that hope. Sometimes if we talk about light at the end of a tunnel. Do you see any light at the end of that tunnel, or is it just complete darkness? Look around. Sometimes you can't see any light because you're not looking. Look up and look at Jesus. He's radiant, and he's shining brightly. When we talk about Jesus being a light of the world, we talk about the hope that we have. One day, everything is going to be completely perfect. Even you, and even me. We will be glorified, and we will be in his kingdom forever and ever. And so today we celebrate communion. And in this meal, while we celebrate this meal, of course there's a meal that happened uh, when Jesus was here, incarnate in the flesh. And then there's a meal that's happening right now, and there's also a meal that will happen in the future. And I want us to focus on that, because Jesus focused on that meal in Luke chapter 22, verses um, well, specifically verses 14 to 17. Oh, before I get to that, so um, it was brought up in the song. That was great, the one that, that Mitch had written. This, this meal looks forward to another meal. In Revelation, it talks about what will happen in the end, this marriage supper of the Lamb. And in those same chapters, it talks about light and glory and shining. So let's just look at that. They're in your notes too. Revelation chapter 9, verse 9, talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then as you keep reading, Talk about this heavenly city. Revelation 22, verses 23 to 25. It says, the city does not need the sun. Kind of like going back way before, you know, beginning of creation. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the lamb, our sacrificial lamb, Jesus Christ, and the lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light. And the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut. For there will be no night there. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or even the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Darkness will never overcome the light of the world. So we know that. We read the story in the Bible. Darkness is not going to overcome uh, the light. 
Jesus is the light of the world. So when Jesus is celebrating this Last Supper in Luke chapter 22, and um, I mean the whole story is chapters, verses 7 all the way to uh, 20, but let me just focus on a few of the words that he says in verses 14 to 17. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Why has he eagerly desired to eat this? He says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus was looking forward to that next meal in the kingdom of God, where there's no sun is needed because the, shine, the glory of God is shining all around. There's no more evil. There's nothing, the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, I, um, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks. And he said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until, he says it again, until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So as we celebrate, as we commemorate and celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, I want you to think of that next meal, the one that Jesus had us focus on, that is coming when there'll be no need for the sun, when we will see how true it is that darkness will never overcome the light, the light of the world. And I want you to be filled with hope for whatever situation you're in right now. It's, it's seasonal. I'm not sure how long the season will be. But look to the end of the tunnel, if you're in a tunnel. Look to that light. Focus on Jesus Christ. He is the light of the world. Because not only do we proclaim the death of Jesus Christ when we, when we have this meal together, we're also proclaiming that darkness has no say in our world. By this act, we proclaim Jesus is the light of the world. Our hope is in Christ. And by participating in this meal, our hope should be renewed. And we are enabled to live in a dark and discouraging world as the herods of this world are trying to extinguish the light. And we walk as people who are walking in the light. We live as people of hope. This is who we are. We are making a declaration. We declare when we eat and drink that evil, wrong, pain, and darkness, they do not have the last word. And we live now with this an eager anticipation of the future when we will eat this meal again with Jesus Christ when he comes in all his glory. The celebration of the Lord's Supper anticipates that meal and prepares us for it. So we will eat together and we will look forward to a new day. We know that it's coming. And as we eat, we are eager for Christ to usher in his new kingdom. This is what it means to celebrate Jesus being the light of the world and understanding that darkness will not overcome it. Let's make that declaration today as we celebrate this meal. So I'm just going to go right into that right now instead of our normal pattern of stopping the sermon and then singing and then doing this. This is just going to be an extension of the message. So those who are uh, helping to um, hand out, just, uh, just come on up to the front here.
and just have a seat while I pray. So this is, just want to remind you, this is, um, this is not my table, it's not my table. This is the table of Jesus Christ, and he is the host at this table. And he ate and drank with sinners. He was known to be a drunkard, and uh, he, he partied with the, the worst of everyone. He did not participate in the same indulgences that they did, but he, he loved those people. And he invites everyone, even Judas, with whom Satan had entered him at the time. He said, all are welcome to this table. So um, it is your choice if you want to participate in this table of not or not. And so you are welcome. And in a minute we will hand out, participate. Sorry about my microphone. But I do, let's, as we know, Let's have a moment of silence and let us pray. And maybe you feel hopeless. Will you just confess that to God? Just um, as he has, as he leads. And if there's something you need to confess, please just confess it to him. You don't need to confess it out loud. Receive his forgiveness. Let's have a moment of silence. Okay.